Support for today's episode of Inquisitive comes from Lynda.com and Cards Against Humanity. On last week's episode of Inquisitive, we took a look at some of the things that developers do to get ready to launch their app. One thing that was mentioned quite a bit last week was how working with the press is a really important part of the process. On this episode, I want to take a look at that in a little more detail and also look at how developers build hype for their apps in the run-up to release. If there is another way that the app store is like Hollywood, it's the hype machine. To get people excited about an upcoming release, many developers will tease the product that they're releasing in advance. The timing of doing something like this is really important. If you do it too early, you will end up getting people really excited, but then there's a chance that they may forget about you or become angry because you're making them wait for something that they now know about. You're going to make them wait for you to release your app, and sometimes too much excitement can actually be a bit of a bad thing. It is also possible that if you hype too close to the product's release, you're not actually going to give yourself enough time to get the word out, and you won't get enough bang for your buck. Once again, with a lot of these things, I have found out that there is no one-size-fits-all approach, and that the many developers that I have spoken to establish their own rules that work best for them. There are some developers that don't believe in teasers in any way, but those that do swear by it. Yeah, um, so <laughs> a few friends call me king of the teaser. Uh, I love the tease. I, like, I, to me, the tease is every... Like, when I see someone tease, it gets me going. That's Michael Simmons of FlexiBits. They're the team behind Fantastical. It tells me that they're excited about it. It tells me that they want me to be excited about it. It is a little puzzle if done right, so it's always fun. It's interactive, potentially. Um, you know, if you just put up a page and you're just like, yeah, this app's coming next week, come back and check it out, that's kind of lame. I mean, what you did basically was you pre-announced something. That's not teasing, right? Teasing is giving a little something like Apple does in their invites where it's a sentence or a phrase that makes you go, hmm, what are they trying to say or what, what information are they giving me? You know, it's a guessing game. And I think a good teaser really does get people excited. Um, I think long and hard about what my teasers are going to be because I want to excite my users. I'm, I'm a big fan of surprising and delighting users. And I think if there's going to be a teaser, then you got to own it. you got to tease. you got to do exactly what it says. Um, so we start putting the teaser together. I mean, it's, it's something I'm thinking about. So, okay, the truth is it's basically a month before launch. Basically, four weeks before launch is when my brain and my, my I guess my hands get into prep mode where I start going, okay, I really got to start thinking about the teaser. Okay, the website really needs to be going. I mean, the website has to be started a few months before because there's a lot of design and tweaking and implementation um, you know, for like a new website. But the teaser actually, I like to post a teaser one week before. Some people do it a month before. Some people do it a few weeks before. I think if you do it too early, it's out of people's minds and they kind of get frustrated. And, but I think a week before is perfect because you're basically like, hey, in one week, this thing's coming. And then it gives people really a countdown to go, oh, my God, or mark their calendars or whatever. Russell Ivanovich of Shifty Jelly also teases his products before launch. But he feels that this is only useful if you already have an audience to talk to. Yeah, we, we've done those sort of things in the past. Um, we've had various degrees of success. I think... The, the fact of the matter is if you want to tease something, there has to be some level of excitement about that something, you know, out there already. There has to be people that are waiting for it or people that, that you know, really need it. So, I mean, this, this time around we were launching, you know, Pocket Cast version 5 
And there was a massive group of people, I guess, of our existing users that were already super excited about it. You know, we'd, we hadn't really teased it, but we had told them, you know, yes, yes, we're working on an update. You know, yes, it's going to have some of these things. Yes, it's going to be, you know, amazing. And then what tends to happen is, yeah, every now and again, we'll just, you know, we'll post something to Twitter or, you know, one of us will just casually, you know, <laughs> my favorite thing is you take a screenshot of something you're working on and then just leave a little tiny clue you know, somewhere in the screenshot. And people pick up on that stuff. You know, if they're excited, they'll pause the screenshot and they'll be like, oh, that's that's a different logo. You know, that's a thing. So, I mean, that's a fun thing to do. We don't we don't particularly go, you know, crazy teasing things before release. But it, it does feel like there's a bit of a build-up to it if you can slowly, you know, eke a few things out. You know, get people excited. But you want to make sure that you don't get excited, get them excited too early because... You know, if they're super excited two months out from release, that's that's not very good. None of them are going to be excited, you know, two months later. Marco Arment, developer of Overcast, is not personally a big fan of this type of marketing in general. I had a, a page up on overcast.fm uh, that said, like, coming soon, and just had a picture of the logo. Like, I didn't do, like, teaser screenshots or anything like that. It was a very, very simple page. It had almost nothing on it. And that was mostly as a placeholder so that if people went to the, went to the domain, it wouldn't just be, like, a DNS error. I mean, <laughs> that's the only reason it was up there. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't believe in, in hyping up something a lot ahead of time because with an app, like, your goal is to get people to install the app. What use is it to direct a whole bunch of people to, to your website if they can't install the app yet? Like, and I hate that. Like, as a customer, I'm like, look, I, I go through a lot of stuff every day. Like, I see a lot of new web pages. I see a lot of new apps. I see a lot of things mentioned on Twitter. I'm not like if your website says check back in October. Like, how likely is it I'm going to actually remember to do that? It's almost impossible. It's, uh, it's never going to happen. And a website that that asks me to like come back later or sign up for a mailing list. Yeah, right. I'm going to sign up for your mailing list. You know, <laughs> that's that's what everyone needs is your mailing list, right? Um, any any website that that depends on that or expects people to to think to think of them so much that they're going to either want their mailing list or remember to come back in some random time interval, that I think is overly optimistic of the way people actually work today. Uh, so I think tell people about your app when they can go download it, <laughs> at when it is available. Then you say, "Here's my app. It's amazing. Check it out and try it. Here's a link. Go get it in the app store right now." That's one of the reasons why my, my website is so minimal right now and. It's partly out of laziness because I don't have the time to constantly update the app, the website every time the app changes any visual things. Um, and part of it's just like, look, I want you, it's a free app. Don't read my website for an hour deciding whether you're going to download it or not. Just go download it and then decide whether to keep it. That's my goal. Like, just get, just get it. Just try it. And uh, so that's, yeah, the whole, the whole idea of like creating pre-hype demand or pre, you know, pre-release demand, um, I think some people can pull it off, most people can't, and most people shouldn't try. I like to tease the stuff that I'm working on, mainly because I just get so excited about it, I want to be able to share at least some of that excitement in my own projects as early as possible. To me, this can take many forms, some small cryptic tweet, or a piece of artwork, or sharing a date for people to watch out for. For the script of this actual episode of the show, for the voiceover that I'm doing right now, I'm streaming live on Meerkat because I'm excited about sharing this with people. So this is another example of the type of thing that I do. I find this process to be really enjoyable and actually somewhat cathartic. 
If you're able to build hype correctly, you can end up with a situation wherein you have people excited with you. It's great for you to be excited yourself, but ultimately anything that gets others excited about what you are working on will help spread the word, which ultimately is going to help you succeed in the long run. When we come back from this break, we're going to start looking at how developers work with the press. But before we do that, let me thank our first sponsor for this week's episode of Inquisitive. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform of over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash inquisitive. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash inquisitive. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, or boost your Photoshop skills. Go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. Whilst browsing around lynda.com, I have come across some incredible courses. Like, for example, maybe you want to learn a little bit about typography or the foundations of color as you're really interested in design. Maybe you want to get up and running with IFTTT and see how you can use automation to make your technology life that little more interesting. These are some of the incredible courses that you're able to get a handle on at lynda.com. These are all taught by experts who are really passionate about teaching. You can stream these courses and thousands more on demand, allowing you to learn at your own schedule and at your own pace. You can even watch them on your Android or iOS device on the go too. You can create and save playlists that you're able to share with others and you're able to follow along with each video with their great transcripts. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to visit lynda.com inquisitive to sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to lynda.com for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. What has become one of the most important parts of the launch process is how you interact with the press. Launch day can be made or broken depending on the type of press coverage that you get. Now hopefully, when you contact the press, you have an app that is worthy of a good write-up. Assuming that you've got that bit covered, it's easier to cross the next hurdle, actually getting people's attention. Having existing relationships with bloggers and journalists is obviously extremely helpful, but it's not necessarily an easy thing to achieve. If this is your first app, if you've not yet had a visible success on the App Store, how do you get into contact with the press? Social media is one way. I guess if people are familiar with you because you interact with them positively online, it may help strike up a friendly relationship. Another option is conferences. John Voorhees met and made friends with people he has admired at conferences. Those relationships were there to help him get the word out about his app, Blink, when it launched in March of 2015. Well, I'm fairly new at development, but I've known a lot of bloggers, podcasters, and other developers for a number of years. This has always been an interest for me, and my son, who also... Uh, does iOS development. He's been doing it longer. He's been doing it since 2008, and uh, he's 16 now. <laughs> and at the time, I knew nothing about development, and I needed to find resources for him. So I spent a lot of time online looking for resources. And in the early days, there wasn't much out there. Uh, but Twitter was a, was a big benefit because that's where all the developers were. Uh, so I started following a bunch of developers, um, got to know some of them, and then 
fast forward to 2011, I went to the first Ool conference. I'm just kind of on a lark. Um, wanted to meet some of the people I had gotten to know online, face to face, and see what this was all about. And that, I think, was the earliest thing that kind of set this set this path in motion for me was getting to know developers from all over the world who were working and excited about developing for iOS and the Mac. Those were the initial contacts. And then, you know, following from that, been to the last couple of WWDCs in 2013 with Owen, my son. Uh, we were there and met a lot of people through that. Um, and then again last year. Uh, and I got to the point where I got tired of just watching him and helping him and figured, you know, this is, I kind of caught the bug uh, and wanted to try it out myself. So I dove in with Blink shortly before WWC 2014. Um, and by the time I went in June, had a very basic working prototype of Blink uh, that I showed off. Uh, I, you know, the thought being, I, I really dug into it in April, a couple of months before WWDC, uh, because I wanted to get together with other developers, bloggers, and so forth, to show it to them and get some input as to what would be useful um, to them as um, as an affiliate linking product. Whether you know people or not, you still have to write those emails to tell people that your app is in the works and it's coming. You have to spend time crafting something that walks the line between asking for help but not pleading. And you also have to try and set expectations of when your app is actually going to launch. Padraig and Oshin of Supertop have been through this process a couple of times now, so they've now established their own template. For Tokens and Castro, like we would put together a press kit, which would have like the descriptions and like screenshots, and um, we had a video for Tokens and a few like different bits like that that would make it easier to put together short pieces about it. Um, for both those apps, we... I don't know when exactly, but I feel like it was maybe in the few weeks or months kind of leading up towards launch, we would start reaching out to the press and get them on the beta and stuff like that. We always have more emails that we want to send than we end up doing, and then we end up managing to get around to, and there's always a few that we leave far too much until the last minute, um, which we're trying to make sure we don't repeat that mistake again. Um, But it's kind of just a question of trying to, I guess, get your, your ducks in a row um, and making sure that you've contacted as many of the people as you, as you have on your list. We do have a list, but it's not like we don't have a, any kind of automatic press mailing list or anything like that. It's always individual contacts, individually reaching out to people, um, which feels perhaps doesn't scale as well, but feels more more personal and more manageable for me personally. You want to ask as little of the press as you possibly can. And I think you know, one thing I've learned is, is you don't just send out form emails to a bunch of people willy-nilly. Um, I sat down and spent you know, several hours just writing individual emails to each person, especially the people who I'd met before and knew and knew their work, knew a little bit about them, and sent them a nice short personal email uh, asking them to consider writing about Blink, and the reception's been really good. 
Giving access of pre-release versions of an app is a very useful tool for developers. Putting press on your beta list can be a great way to gather feedback and also to give potential reviewers some time to form solid opinions about your app. With the Overcast beta, originally I had the list divided up into like three different tiers. I, I read some things that were like, oh, here's how you should do a beta for marketing reasons. And you should have first your you know, good friends and then you give it to the press last. And I'm like, well, my close friends are the press. Uh, I guess I could do a tiered system. But, and at, at the very last minute, I decided, you know what? This is stupid. I'm just going to give it to all of them. Like, my whole list just gets beta one. And then we can talk about it, and we can get good feedback, and they can actually use the app for a long time rather than, like, one week before I launch it. You know, and, they, and it's the kind of app where, you know, you, you benefit from it if, if it really resonates with you. Like, you should use it for a while before you're able to express an opinion about it because you'll probably like it better. Like, you'll have, you'll have a, a chance to give smart speed, a long time to accumulate stats. You know, you'll get accustomed to the way it sounds, the way it does things. So, like, yeah, at the very last minute, I'm like, you know what? Everyone gets beta one, period. Uh, so I don't really have, like, a plan for how I do these things. I just kind of do them in whatever feels good at the moment, and it works out okay. Here's Guy English on why he thinks working with the press and giving them early access is important. I think it's invaluable, and and I think the greater point is that um, I know that Apple wants you to be supporting your app outside of their um, their their app store. If all you do is pitch it to Apple and, and expect to get featured, uh, I know they don't like that. I, I know that they want you to be going out and try to drum up interest and, and, and being as invested in um, making your app a success as you want them to be. Um, I think that uh, you know. I, I think the, I think the press drives a lot of traffic. Um, you know, we got a mention on Daring Fireball when we shipped Napkin, and that did well. Uh, but we got a mention on iMore too, and uh, uh, MacWorld. We got a review. We got we got all kinds of mentions. So we had. It, it it's hard to say which one has the most impact, right? Um, but I certainly think that having a good relationship with the press is vital to running a software business. And by good relationship, I don't mean go buy people drinks, although I know these people and they'd probably be okay with having a drink. Uh, <laughs> but but what, what I mean is um, be cordial. Do not ever feed them with articles to run. Like, here's my press release, and here's an idea for an article, and it's, you know, just an ad for your thing. Don't do that. Um, these are very, very smart people. Don't take them for fools. Uh, and if they have critiques of either the way you run your company, the way you communicate your company, or the way you communicate about your application or the application itself, um, you should take them to heart. They may not be right. In fact, you may think you know better, and maybe you do. Um, but what I mean by having a good relationship is, you know, take what these people have to say seriously, communicate with them cordially and politely, and um, just realize that these people can be your biggest advocates. If only you, you know, 
you work with them rather than against them. And that's not, that doesn't mean pay them off because that certainly won't work. But a good relationship with, with the press is, is invaluable, I think, to anybody. Apple's system for releasing apps is not as simple as I guess you'd hope it to be. You can't set a date until after your app is approved, which could take multiple days or even weeks, making the hype machine hard to schedule. Once your app is approved, you can set a publish date, in which it will then publish at midnight on the day in question in each country. Or if you want to go live immediately, you can choose to press the button and wait for what can be hours for the app to propagate in each country's store. There is no real way of knowing for sure when it will start to appear, but you'll have to hope it will be on or around the time you've decided and set with the press. Embargoes are used by many developers to try and balance leaks by setting the date and time before press articles can be published and facilitate in-depth coverage by giving reporters early access to their apps. Setting embargoes can be an interesting thing. Getting everything ready for a launch takes time, and giving yourself a deadline to hit that you're able to control before the world starts to find out about your app can be really important for some people. But embargoes are a difficult thing to approach, especially if you're new to app development. An indie developer's only real power is the launch. Um, I think you've probably read or talked about this, but basically the launch is the highest amount of power you'll ever have. Um, it all goes downhill from there. And the reason is, is you hope to get the news cycles. You hope to get people talking about it. You hope to get visibility. You hope to get a lot of people at once circling on your app. Um, so that being said, the embargo is very important because if something leaks or something gets out or there's any sort of confusion or any news, you've ruined that power punch, if you will. And uh, yeah, we, we have, again, I'm very lucky that throughout the years and throughout all of my things that I've made, I have good relations with the press. But the media in general, I mean, they're very good on keeping embargoes. If you obviously go to them with a the story and you say, hey, respectfully, can you do this? They'll do it. So you have to be very careful with embargoes because basically what you're doing when you're saying, you know, please keep my embargo is, hey, please don't talk. And that's a pretty, it's a pretty like almost arrogant thing to ask if you pull back and actually look at what that is, right? Like, hey, I'm going to tell you this thing and you're in the business of telling other people things, but please don't tell people this. Um, the reason why I say it's kind of arrogant is I want you to understand where the problem that I'm going to give you the solution comes to. But if you really think about it, again, you're telling someone not to do something, which that's a lot of respect that that person has to have for you. And it's also a lot of respect you should have for that person for doing it, right? Basically, when you give an embargo, you have to make it clear that should someone else break the embargo or should, should the app go live on the app store before the time of the press release, they're allowed to post. And Again, you have to be careful because you're basically saying you're allowed to, you're allowed to. I, I sometimes get antsy when I do this because I don't want to ever feel like, I don't want to ever make the other person feel like I'm telling them what to do. I'm just setting parameters and guidelines of what I'd like them to do. And that's the thing with embargoes is you have to be respectful that, hey, these people are giving an embargo, that they are holding back news, that they are being respectful to you, and that requires respect back. Yeah, we do. They're not, they're not super strict. Just the, the press people that are part of our beta, we tell them, look, um, you know, you guys have, you guys and girls have, um, being able to look at it first. All we ask is that you don't write articles in this until this date. You know, you still be able to come out with the first articles, but we don't want stuff written, you know, a week before it comes out because we just 
we feel that you know if someone gets excited about your product there should be a button that just says you know go grab it now um i didn't feel that that was necessary um if someone wants to write about it early they can uh i've not been shy about saying showing what blink is all about uh posting videos of um you know usage of the app and that sort of thing uh i obviously i think it makes sense for sites to wait until it's actually available so i don't really expect anybody to post anything before then but if they want to that's that's fine with me up to this point you've heard how developers try to approach and deal with the press but when we come back from this break we're going to actually hear from someone who writes about apps for a living and understand how this looks from their side but first here's another story of what it's like to be an indie game developer brought to you by cards against humanity So when the App Store first came out, you could actually tell which games were good just by looking at which of them were polished. You could tell which people were like putting together crap and seeing what would be fun and what wouldn't and which people really loved their work and really wanted to make something special and put it out. Now, every game looks like somebody's loved their work. Everybody's putting in like, you know, the whatever the proverbial $60,000, whether you've actually spent $60,000 or whether you're just like spending $60,000 of your own time, every game that comes out is like perfectly polished and beautiful and like slick. There's an aesthetic that a lot of games share. Um, None of that existed before. Um, And actually when the App Store was really early on back when I released SimsBond, I remember there were so few games that I actually cruised the new releases. There was a whole category that would just like by date catalog all of the games that were getting put out on the App Store that you could access um, through the App Store app. Uh, Cause like there were like maybe 60 games a day coming out. And obviously that's that's totally different now, but you could like go through that 60 games a day and you could uh, you could just see which ones look cool and download them. <laughs> it's a totally different world. I'm Zach Gage, I'm an artist and I make video games and I can be found either at Helvetica on Twitter or at my website, which is stfj.net. Federico Vitici, my co-host on Connected and Virtual on Relay FM, is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. Over the years, MacStories has become a well-trusted source for what's new and cool in iOS apps. If you get a Tici review of your app, which at times have been known to reach into the tens of thousands of words, then you are in for a boost on launch day. In this episode, I've been focusing on how developers think they should approach the press, but the press obviously have their own views. I asked what Federico thinks is the best way to get his attention for an app. How are you typically approached by developers when they want you to see their app? There's two, I think there's two ways. The first one is the easy one. It's someone I already know. So they either send me a message or a DM on Twitter and they tell me, hey, I'm working on this new app. And because I already know this person and because I tend to have relationships with developers that make apps that I like, I know that it's likely something I'm interested in, you know, that I want to check out. And But what's interesting, I think, it's when the app is from someone I don't know. 
And the obvious way is email. So I get an email, uh, a pitch from these, uh, from developers that I don't know. And I mean, it's been six years that I've been writing Mac stories and I've seen, pretty sure that I've seen all kinds of uh, email pitches for, uh, for new apps for iPhone and iPad and Mac. And the best kind for me, so this is just a personal preference. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to say this is the only way to, you know, to pitch someone an idea or an app. Uh, but my personal preference is when it's kept really short. And I'm not saying just like it's a, just one sentence, hey, I'm making an app, are you interested? Because that's the worst kind when you don't describe what you're making. But I think I also don't like when I get this email that like takes me 20 minutes to read and that it's full of links and that it's full of images, that it's got all these attachments that I need to download. I think as usual, the the best is in the middle, you know, when you have an email that tells me in just a few sentences what you're making, that has a, maybe a link to a quick demo video that has no huge attachments, because I really don't like when I need to download like zip archives or PDFs or worse, Word documents. So when I have text, links, just a couple, and maybe a screenshot but what's really important, I think it's a video. If you have a link to a private video, I think that works best for me. And what I, what I don't like is when I'm either automatically subscribed to an app's uh, beta group or when, uh, again, when I'm sent all these documents that I'm supposed to download and read and scroll through. One thing that I really liked is uh, one time I got this pitch from a developer who was making a web service with an iOS component and he made a video uh, to show off the website and the iPhone app. And the video was a private Vimeo video and it was just for me uh, because the, the, like, there was the developer talking in the video and he was like, hey Federico, do you want to, this is my app, I wanted to, to show you what I've been working on. Uh, so, you know, I know that it takes time and effort to make, you know, a proper email pitch that's personalized for each blogger. But I mean, if you choose to be, you know, into this kind of career, if you choose to be a developer, this is part of the plan, you know, marketing and try to have some kind of relationship with the press. It is part of the deal when you choose to, when you choose to make your living out of selling software. And of course, a necessary component of that is people who cover, who talk about your software. You need to go to the extra mile and you need to approach people personally. How many pitches do you get a week? Oh, hundreds. Uh, every morning I wake up to, I would say, at least 20 every each day. So, of course, it is difficult, you know, to choose. And uh, I think what I've, uh, I have developed some kind of special skill, and I'm sure that other bloggers can relate. I can, I can instantly know with, uh, I would say, 90% accuracy just by looking at the formatting and the text of an email message, of an email pitch, if it's going to be worth it or not. Because my, I guess just my eyes have learned to visually parse an email and to know whether it's spam or if, you know, a game that I don't care about or if it's a hidden gem that I need to check out. I don't know how this is done, but I know that it's true. I can just, <laughs> I can look at, at an email and I know what it's going to be about. I would say that over six years, 
I ignored and I was wrong maybe three times and I regretted it very much. And so that's the reason why I still go through all my pitches and I know that it's it's not fun and it's boring, but sometimes I find, you know, that hidden treasure, that, that, that genius app that is coming out and it makes it worth it. Do you ever imagine what it must feel like for a developer to send this to you? I think it's awful. I think it, the, the, honestly, I think the pressure and the feeling of, oh my God, is this other person going to like uh, all the work that I've done for several months of my life? And I think that's, that's, um, that's a problem for me because on one hand, I have a business to run. So I need, you know, I need to pay rent and I need to pay my taxes. So I need my website to be, you know, to have content that people think it's well done. So I need to be sometimes even cold maybe to to say, no, I don't care about this app. I want to write about this other one. But on the other hand, it is my personal nature of, you know, having empathy with other people and saying there's a person on the other end of this email and this person made an app and he spent months making this app and this app is not a good one so what do I do and I know that it's not my job to be a counselor to people to be you know a shrink to other people over email but I still feel bad sometimes and sometimes I know that it's not my I don't do consulting right but sometimes I do try even if it takes me takes me a couple of minutes that could go into writing or using you know reading articles sometimes I do take the opportunity to, to just send advice and say hey this app is not really for me or I think you made a series of design mistakes and if you want my advice I would do this but I do think that in general on the other end the feeling is, is usually not great because even if you have a genius idea and even if you if you think, okay, I have a unique product, there's always the feeling that it's going to suck. And writing an email, it's just putting that feeling into words and sending it to other people and it never feels good, I think. What do you feel about when people try to set NDAs or embargoes? How does that make you feel? Uh, it's uh, It's difficult. Does it depend on the person? Yes, and it depends on how you ask, I think. Because if you send me an email and I don't know you and I don't know who you are or what you're making and you're like, I want to tell you about my app, but first here's a document you need to sign. And that's the worst type of approach, I think. Because sure, I'll sign whatever you want. I respect your embargo, but first just tell me what this is just roughly what this is going to be about. Because I understand and I do sign NDAs and I do embargoes, embargoes all the time but still I think you know it's a it's an exchange if you if you want the press to respect you know the kind of agreement between two parts you need to give a little detail because otherwise I'm just putting my signature on a document yeah. for I don't know what it's about and it's kind of weird do you know the kind of impact that a Mac stories review has on a developer and how do you feel about this power i think it really depends on the kind of software that i'm covering Uh, because i i know and i don't want to brag or anything it's just i've been doing this for six years so the website has grown in popularity i enjoy a moderate kind of success and i do know that for some types of apps 
uh, like I have a very specific kind of audience and the people who read Mac stories are into some kind of apps. People come to Mac stories for productivity, for, you know, doing work on iOS, lately for health and fitness stuff. So people don't usually come to Mac stories for games or for books or movies. So depending on the kind of app, if it fits the, the Mac Stories audience, I think it can make a big impact. And I, I say this because um, developers send me screenshots of uh, iTunes Connect. Uh, I don't ask them. I don't ask them to to send me this. They just want to share. You know, I can see the the analytics. I can see the big spike when I publish a review, and I I have a couple of examples that I can think about. When editorial came out, I was effectively the only website with a, with a major uh, in depth review of you know an app that that has become a game changer for many who want to write on iOS. And or when I covered Todoist, which is already a huge service, but I got hundreds of tweets and emails from people who say I switched to Todoist because of your article. So this is a this is awesome, of course, because it means that a few people read my stories, and I'm really happy. I also try not to think about it too much because it makes me feel like because I'm not that kind of guy, you know. I don't want to go around and say, "Hey, I'm a, I'm important," you know. I, I it's just just not what I am. And also because thinking about responsibility uh, or, you know, what I write actually can, you know, change the the result of an app or on the app store. It's just, it makes me feel kind of weird and funny and I don't want to think about it. So just, I, I try to write knowing that people read it, but also I try to write for the enjoyment of, of my readers, not for the success of others. My last question um, what is your number one tip for uh, an indie developer who's new to developing to try and get press attention? What's the best way to do that? Be kind and persistent. Don't be annoying, but just be yourself. You know, don't 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 send one of those uh, templates for press releases or for email because I can you know. Bloggers can tell when you use a template, when you're not really yourself. And if you really want to get someone's attention, just at least make a good effort to write a personal email. Just try to say, hey, my name is this and that, and I read your website because, you know, you, you talk about this stuff. And I'm making this app. Don't try to be too... I mean, it depends on the publication, right? Because if you get in touch with the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, you want to be all formal and, and stuff. But if you try to approach indie publications like Mac Stories or, you know, other blogs like, I don't know, even 9to5Mac, which is a huge news website but still covers apps, I would say try to be personal, try to be kind and, and don't be all, hey, here's an NDA you need to sign right from the start. Just try to be polite, you know, and because I think kindness kind of comes through over email and people can tell when there's someone who genuinely believes in what he's making. Uh, and, and, and yeah, just try to be personal and kind and, and maybe don't follow up <laughs> every couple of days. Just maybe if you if you don't get a reply, just maybe wait, you know, a couple of weeks, and um, 
and 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 if you still don't get a reply maybe try with a tweet and and then maybe just if you don't receive a response it's not because the other person hasn't seen it it's because again maybe they just cannot reply to every single email they get but my advice be kind and personal and that really makes a difference it sounds cheesy maybe kind of obvious but it does make a difference so you have everything ready you've pressed the buttons and your app is now available for sale the press embargo time has lifted and your app is out there into the world people can go and buy it the word is getting out so what happens next we'll find out next time on inquisitive Inquisitive is a production of Relay FM. You can find show notes and links for this episode over at relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 35. Inquisitive is produced by Stephen Hackett, Adina Namtsu, and me. Marco Savage is our editorial advisor. Huge thanks to everyone who's provided their time and feedback to help get this series off the ground. The music you've heard in this episode was created and provided by Brave Wave Productions. If you've enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and tell your friends or rate us on iTunes. Support for this episode comes from lynda.com and Cards Against Humanity. You can find out more about Inquisitive and all of our shows at Relay FM by visiting us online at relay.fm. I am Mike Hurley at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.